We're going to be praying together and jumping into the sermon. And we're going to be jumping back into our sermon series on the book of Acts um, and basically picking up where we left off, which is going to be Acts chapter 8. And we're going to be dwelling on the first eight verses today. So let me pray for us. Father, I pray that as we open your word, as we read your word, as we dwell on it, God, as we think about the implications of who you are, what you've done, how you've used uh, our brothers and sisters before us, how you've done amazing and miraculous things. God, may we be filled with hope. May we be edified. May we pursue holiness. May we pursue in reflecting who you are in everything that we do. God, as we've seen your work throughout the ages, may we be... uh, just so impacted by that, to give ourselves under your full authority to do with us as you will, to fix us, to transform us. Because yes, it is amazing the fact that we are allowed to approach a holy God, a powerful God as sinners, as weak sinners who need grace. But yet, how amazing it is that you don't just allow us to stay that way. Don't just allow us to stay the way we are, but you have in your patience and your grace and your mercy begun to work within us to transform us. And God, may we surrender to your powerful work. And so God, as we read your word, as we study your word, may we not just know what it says, what the words say, but may we be edified. May we be changed by it. May we be encouraged. May we love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so, oh, Sigrun, Sigrun and David, we really, we really miss you guys. Um, so, you guys are watching from Denia in Spain. Um, now, if you don't know me, my name is Gunnar Inge Gunnarsson. Um, I'm one of the two pastors here at Lost of Baptist Kirka. It is a joy to be with you today. And, uh, I don't know who you are, who, who, all, who all is, <laughs> who you are, who is watching this video, but I just want to say that it is a privilege to, to study the Bible with you here today. Now, today it is a joy for me to pick up where we left off in the book of Acts. So we basically went through the first seven chapters in the book of Acts, uh, and the book of Acts may be a weird name. If you're not a Christian, the book of Acts is one of the 66 books of the Bible. It's in the New Testament. It's basically after Jesus ascends into heaven, what the early church did. Um, now, we left off after the seventh chapter to just basically deal with some of the questions that may have arose up until that point uh, to take, I think we take four weeks to deal with those questions. Who is the Holy Spirit or uh, what, what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit, healing and miracles and so on and so forth. So we're going to be jumping back into the book of Acts, picking up where we left off, which is chapter eight. Um, now, this is happening right after Stephen is becoming the first martyr of the church. He, so after Jesus ascends into heaven, the church is starting to operate. The first guy who gets murdered for his faith is 
this Stephen guy who is a deacon in the church who basically delivers this epic sermon before the religious elite. They hate him and they stone him to death. And there we are introduced to a guy, a sort of character that's in the background, sort of a backup character in the movie. Uh, you may have seen you know, those movies where you have two main characters having a conversation. They're the ones in focus, but in the background you have people walking by and that type of stuff and you don't really notice them, but they're there for ambience, right? Well, here you have this guy sort of in the background in that scene, Saul. We're told that they, you know, basically left their garments with this Saul guy who was watching over the clothes of the people so that they could more efficiently throw rocks at Stephen and murder him. And, uh, and basically, here we are introduced more into Saul's thinking. Uh, that sounds Southern, Saul's thinking. Uh, let's jump into the book of Acts and read the first uh, eight verses in chapter eight together. So let me read. And Saul approved, uh, sorry, I've got it on the screen. Let me put it up here, of course. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Uh, Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down uh, to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was, so, so there was much joy in that city. So those are the verses that we're going to be dwelling on today. In our text, you can sort of view our text in two different ways. And you can basically break it up in half. You can view or emphasize the first four verses of the text or the latter four verses of the text. And depending on what you emphasize and what you give your focus to, without having both in mind, you can get walk away from this text with very different opinions. Right? You, can, you can walk away depressed, uh, you can walk away heavy-hearted, or you can walk away joyful, thinking, man, what an amazing thing that God is doing. Uh, you can see the, the evil, you can see the horrible, you can see the tragedy and what that looks like, um, or you can see the hand of God in the midst of the turmoil, moving and causing joy to spread and hope to take root and begin his transformation of people and of nations and of the world as a whole. See, like if you just focus on the first four verses, you can easily only see the bad part of what's happening. But when you take into account all eight verses, you see that even in the bad, God is working out his goodwill. He is... He is dispensing his mercy and grace upon his people and he is using difficult circumstances as he has done throughout the Bible. He is used in difficult circumstances, bad circumstances, bad people and bad intentions to do amazing things. 
And that is something that, you know, fills me with hope. It doesn't really matter who or what tries to come against the work of God on earth. The church of God, no matter where it is, be it in North Korea or somewhere in Europe, it doesn't matter what persecution might look like. It doesn't matter how powerful the people are that are going against the church. God will produce good, dispense his grace, even with evil people trying to thwart his plans. That is just amazingly edifying and encouraging to me. I mean, we're introduced to this Saul guy, right? Who is this background character in the previous chapter is only mentioned once, but in the rest of this book, in the book of Acts, this Saul guy will come into the foreground and become one of the main characters in the book of Acts, um, basically being an example of what God can do, even with evil people, right? So this Saul character, he's going by his Hebrew name there. Later on in the book, he will start going by his Greek name. I think I'm not mixing those up. I think the Saul is the Hebrew name and Paul is the Greek. He will start going by his Greek name, Paul, become the Apostle Paul that we know of, um, and he will play a major role in the history of God's story acting in and through his church and in and through this world. That's an amazing thing. He will become known as the Apostle Paul, writer of the two-thirds of the books in the New Testament. But now, we don't know him as the Apostle Paul. We know him as this evil Saul guy, right? And we know him as basically what seems to be a domestic terrorist, He is, you know, if if we just take the political definition of what a terrorist is using, you know, your influence for political gain and and trying to terrorize people and hurt people and destroy things, um, trying to scare people into thinking like you or behaving like you, we're basically introduced to him as like a domestic terrorist going against the church terrorizing, imprisoning men and women. We not only hear uh, in the previous chapter, in the first verse of this chapter, that he approved of the execution of Stephen, that he was joyful that Stephen, you know, this weed had been ripped out of the ground. He's not satisfied with just that. He wants to go after the church in general. He wants to attack this what's probably in his mind, heretical group of people, and he wants to put them in jail and give them the punishment that they deserve. Now, what amazes me about this is just how great of an example this is to the fact that your past and your present does not dictate what God can and cannot do with your future. That's just amazing to me. Think about Saul. Like, look, we literally have someone here who is who's actively seeking to jail Christian to pu- Christians to punish them for following Jesus, who approves of the murder of Christians, who will later give, on, uh, give his entire life towards telling people about Jesus. And not only that, he will not only live for telling people about Jesus and starting churches everywhere he goes, he will eventually die because he's a follower of Jesus. So he goes full circle from being the persecutor to being the persecuted. And I I just think of his conversion story that we will get to later. 
You know, when, when God says, I will show him how much he has to suffer for my name and, and thinking how much suffering he had caused. Now, can you imagine? Just imagine this. Like if, if you were in this context and you are a Christian brother or sister and you were trying to faithfully follow Jesus Christ and there's this one person who is just known as the person who hates you guys, who, who thinks that you're a heretical group of people that should be ripped up like weeds out of the ground, who should be totally punished and persecuted and all of a sudden you hear that he is now a Christian. Now maybe you've seen this guy personally attack your family or yourself, maybe your spouse or your kids for being simple followers of Jesus. Maybe you've seen him kill one of your friends or you know, pull them away crying into jail and now all of a sudden you have to work on, oh, he's a Christian now, now I'm gonna call him a brother and I'm gonna love him. It, just imagine how, how immense and how big this, this is. This is the, the love and the grace of God, the patience of God is so severe that it's difficult for us to comprehend. Like, can you imagine if you, if you walked up to Saul at this point and you told him that now, hey, right now, yeah, you hate these heretical group of Christians. You're trying to persecute them and hoping that they get punished for their belief. Can you imagine walking up to him and saying, hey, Saul, in a few days, you're going to be one of them. You're going to be one of these weird Christians. How do you think he might respond? He might, he might respond with disgust. How dare you suggest such a thing that I will become like one of these animals? He might respond with just anger. He might respond with just well, hatred, but I guarantee you, he would not take you seriously if you walked up to him and said, Paul, in a few days, you will be one of the people that you hate right now. He would probably not believe you at all. So in our text, you can see either the text today is a text that highlights the, the evil or it highlights what God would do in this guy's life. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. The strong hand of God's grace is always enough to completely transform you, to equip you, to stand you up. Your past and your present does not define what God can do with your future. That's radical. And we may say amen, brother, you know, to that statement, but... Realize just who Paul is here and just how drastic this is. This is probably, you know, in, in our modern day context, I'm trying to put this in context to what it would be like for us. Like, what is Paul like here? And I'm probably thinking he's like an ISIS terrorist who's been persecuting Christians, who is known for hurting your brothers and sisters around the world. And all of a sudden he's coming to faith. How, how, how difficult would it be for us to forgive him, for instance, for what he's done? 
right? We may theologically know that God has forgiven him and we may re- realize that if God has forgiven him, I have no ground at all to, to keep being mad at him. But imagine just how difficult it is to, to come to God in prayer and say, God, would you help me forgive the guy who has persecuted my friends and my family, my, my wife and my husband, who has sought to destroy the church? This grace of God is radical and far-reaching. This love of God is truly patient and overwhelming at times. So, so when we say, like, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, that's true. It's true. You see it in the Bible. The, the people that God uses are some of the most messed up people, like Paul here, or in this case, in our text today, Saul. Listen to me, if you're out there and you're thinking to yourself that somehow you are the exception to this rule, that you are too far gone to be reached out by God, that his grace may be, may be awesome for some people, but it's not enough for you, let me tell you that you are wrong. Maybe you're a Christian out there who is, you know, and, and you look at your life, you look at the sins that you've struggled with or changes that you've tried to make and just failed and you think to yourself that people really don't change, people really don't evolve, there's no point of even trying anymore or maybe you're out there and you're overwhelmed, maybe as a parent, maybe just from being an example of who God is in your work and there's just this one character that is so difficult to love or maybe you're a husband or a wife out there and you are just overwhelmed, who's just tired of feeling like a failure all the time and you've settled for not even trying to, to uh, change what type of spouse you are or worker you are or disciple you are. You're just gonna stick, stay here in the mud And you're just not going to even try because it's not worked thus far. And if I just try again, I know I'll just be met with failure again and the disappointment of trying again and failing again. I can't handle that. Maybe you're a a non-Christian with a silly idea in your head that is a popular idea, unfortunately. Maybe you're watching this as a non-Christian and you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe if I just get my life together, If I just look nice, if I polish myself up, then I can join these people for for a church service. Then I can come to Christ. Then I'm impressive enough and I deserve him enough. Or maybe you just have a heavy heavy baggage, baggage of your past just sort of hanging over you. Maybe there's something huge that you did in the past that you just can't get over that you actually did that. Maybe that sin has just been hanging over you, pulling you down your entire life. And every day you've allowed your past and your present to to define who you are and to allow that to define who you will become. Let me tell you, all of you, it doesn't matter what, what type of person you are in this. It doesn't matter if you're a type of person that I haven't mentioned up until this point. Let me tell you, Jesus is enough. Jesus can change your story. What you have been and what you are doesn't have to be what you will become. When the power of God is involved in this, 
when the power of God is involved in and through your life and our lives, all things are possible. That's the amazing thing about God's grace. For instance, I am, I am just so blown away by the fact that God's patience and mercy doesn't just stop when I become a Christian, right? Because I know before he had a lot of patience. When I, with my, my actions and my words, denied Christ, I wanted nothing to do with him, yet he patiently pursued me and loved me and put people in my life who shared and pointed to Jesus, but man, even after coming to faith, how, how patient he has been with just me growing out of my bad habits and sinful thinking and, and just how he has patiently been molding me and, and transforming me. And just marvel with me a little bit here of the marvelous grace of God in Paul's life and what he forgave him of and better yet, what he allowed him to be a part of, right? Grace goes beyond just mercy. Grace goes beyond just forgiving you for or not punishing you for something that you have done, that you deserve punishment over. Grace goes beyond that and actually blesses you. When you deserved wrath, he gave you love. And so Paul, the marvelous grace of God doesn't just forgive him of his past, but transform his life and lets him be a part of an amazing unfolding story of God in the book of Acts. If you're a Christian who has trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior and you live in the forgiveness towards others that God has given you in Jesus Christ, you can know that you are indeed forgiven by God. And, and, and I, I hear this too often from Christians Yes, I know God has forgiven me, but I haven't forgiven myself. Yes, 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 yes. God is holy. God has an impeccable moral standard. My standard is just a little more severe than his. Now, I think when it comes down to it, even though it might sound like it's actually you being very humble, that yes, God has forgiven you, I just haven't forgiven myself, at the root of the problem, I think is a little bit of pride there because you haven't taken God at his word. That yeah, you may say yes and amen to the fact that God has really forgiven you, but maybe you don't truly believe that. Or if you actually truly believe that God has forgiven you and you refuse to forgive yourself, then it's definitely a, a, a type of pride because you're suggesting that your righteousness, your justice is more severe than the justice of the holy God of the universe. That your moral standard is a little higher than the standard of the perfect God of the universe. And we have to let it go. We have to take God at his word. Big problems start happening when, when we don't take God for what he says. Right? And when God says you're forgiven, like we see in, in the life of Saul, and you know, we may we may stop and just think, this is crazy, Grace. Like this is. Are you sure you want to forgive this guy, God? He's been, been uh, approving of the killing of your people. He's been, he's been the main guy persecuting your church. You sure you want to go with this guy? And God is like, yeah, I'm going with this guy. That's, that's amazing. And if, if you're out there and you're a Christian and you struggle with the fact that you've been forgiven, 
Maybe you say yes and amen to the fact that, yeah, Bible says I'm forgiven, you know, but you don't really live like that. You don't really think like that. Man, you just have to dwell on that. You have to dwell on what, where's this coming from? Is this a sense of pride? Is this me trying to one-up God that, you know, I have to somehow hurt myself to, to work in the punishment? I don't believe that Jesus died for, you know, this sin. Anyways, moving on. Jesus died for your sin. Jesus died so that you might step under the umbrella of his grace where your debt has been paid, your, your sin and the stains of your life have been washed away by the blood of your Savior. And by his grace, by his mercy, and on that cross, he not only purchased our salvation when we stand before God on the judgment day, he's also made it so that God himself indwells us by his Holy Spirit until then. He's not left us alone. He's given us his helper. And when God is at work in you, amazing things happen. Even in what seems to be difficulty or defeat, he will work and do his will. Even in a text like today, we, we might look at all the evil things happening and the evil people and their evil plans, try to thwart the plan of God, but we see God at work. Now, the second thing I'd like to notice in our text today is what's, what going looks like. Uh, and what the impact of it can be. Like, one of the things that we do as a church every Sunday is we end our service by reminding ourselves that our worship doesn't just stop on a Sunday, right? We, even though the service is over, our worship continues throughout the week. We are living sacrifices. And, and the church is not just the church when we gather together on a Sunday or in a small group or when we're, I guess, watching together on Facebook or something like that. Uh, but we're also the church of God when we scatter out. When we go into our daily life, you have this gospel fire inside of you. You are a candle burning in the darkness and you go out as a representative of Jesus in your school, in your workplace, among your family, among your friends. We are the church when we scatter as well. Now, the disciples, yeah, one of the things that we do on Sundays is we remind ourselves the mission that God gave to his disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go and make disciples of all the nations, right? We will lead, read that here at the latter end of our, our service here today. But can you imagine what they had in mind of what that looked like? Like they know the plan is to go out, not just in Jerusalem or be in Israel, but to go to all the nations and make disciples, um, and I'm, I'm sure they would have no idea what that would actually eventually look like. But God used the evil plans of men who wanted to stand in the way of God, to persecute the church, to kill Christians, to harm them, to cause the people of God to spread all over the place, carrying with them this gospel candle in the darkness. And this gospel candle just burned and started fires everywhere it went. So when persecution started in Jerusalem, all the people there, uh, a bunch of the people except the apostles started spreading out around the world. And wherever they went, they went and talked about Jesus. They lived for Jesus. They pointed to Jesus with their words and with their life. Now that is a plan that epically just backfires on the guys who hate the church. Because what they are in, intending to do is to kill the flame that is happening in Jerusalem. They're hoping to end the movement of Jesus' followers and Jesus' lovers in Jerusalem. But what they eventually do with their hatred is cause them to spread all over the world. 
Just read with me again, verses four through five. Let me put it here on the screen. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now, some of you have told this story before, but I remember talking to this or, or hearing, I don't remember the context. I just remember it was a Cuban pastor who was talking and he was laughingly talking about Fidel Castro as one of the most effective church planters and evangelists that this world has ever seen. Now, if, you, if you're not really into politics or you may not know the history of Cuba, uh, Fidel Castro was this radical communist atheist. Yeah, so it's, he, he didn't believe in God. And so that's why it's weird that this pastor would be calling him the most effective church planter and evangelist Cuba has ever seen. Now, what he meant by that is when Fidel Castro wanted to limit the church in Cuba, when he wanted to, you know, set pressures on the church, like limit the size of gatherings that churches could have, then a church of 500 all of a sudden was met by the standard that, yeah, we're only allowed to want, have 100 people gathering together. All of a sudden, they had to basically plant five different churches. And as they grew to be more than 100 people, they would plant more churches. And what that would create is this vacuum that just sort of needed the leaders to step up and more preachers of the word and more elders for the church. And, and what, it, what happened in the church is that more people started stepping up and leading the church, more churches started getting planted. And what eventually became of Fidel Castro's plan to try to limit the church became the fueling fire, that uh, the fire that caused the church to spread all over the country and reach more people than it had ever had before. Now, he mentioned that, no, sorry. So I bet you this, that when the disciples heard the call, the mission that we read every week, go and make disciples of all the world, I know I would have probably thought, okay, eventually we're going to have to have a meeting. We're going to have to sit down with a map of the world. We're going to have to have a plan, like who's going where, and, and you know, it's, it's all going to be pretty neat and nice. But I'm, I'm guessing they don't think going looks like basically people hating the church and the church just causing, that causing the church to spread and, and the message of Jesus just to go everywhere. And the impact of it is that fires of the gospel start being lit in all these different cities. That little embassies of the kingdom of heaven start to pop up all over the place and not just in Jerusalem now. The hand of God is active here in this text. Now, as I'm confronted with this text, I pray and seek God about how this can speak to us today. How can this build us up? How can this equip us? How can this give us hope and edify us here 2,000 years removed from these events? Like, man, this is awesome because this is our holy history. This is our holy heritage. This is the family of faith that we are connected to. Well, I'm thinking we, especially here in Iceland, we may not have persecution like the early church did. Who knows, maybe one day it will come. But we, we have this weird year called 2020. <laughs> we have this unusual year. Uh, this summer, I met a lady who was celebrating her 90th birthday. It was, just, it was incredible how present she was and just like 
just active and, you know, thinking clearly. And, and I was, I asked her, is there any year been that you remember been as weird as this one? And she was like, no, this is a very unusual year. And I'm thinking, man, you were here for World War II. <laughs> like, uh, she's like, yeah, this is a very unusual year. I've never experienced something like this. So when I'm looking at this, I'm not seeing the persecution that they're experiencing, but I am seeing this weird year that we live in. We're learning how we can you know, properly social distance and make sure that we love our neighbors by doing our best to not become infected and possible, you know, becoming possible carriers of this virus to spread to other people. Well, it's not only a weird year for all of us as individuals, we've also had to deal with some questions as you know, pastors of Jesus' church and the church in general. Like we might be tempted to only see the negative side effects of, of what's happening right now. We might be very tempted to only see the negative results, only see what we lose and not what we gain. Only see the hardship and the weirdness of this whole year and not see what God is actually doing. In many cases, we won't see what God is doing until I think we look back and we see, oh, okay, now I see what God was actually doing in the year 2020. In the midst of it, I just thought this is all chaos. Like there's nothing happening. But here I look back in 2021 or 2022 and I see that God was actually at work when I didn't notice it. But there are certain things that I feel like God is doing in and through the time that we find ourselves in that will in the end be beneficial and, and life-giving for our church. This weird year is providing us with the necessity to be evangelists in our daily lives. I got, uh, one of my, my greatest hopes for our church is that we don't see missionaries as people out there somewhere. People in a different continent, in a different country, those are the missionaries. I want our members to see themselves. I want every single person who is a Christian in Iceland to see themselves as a missionary to our own culture. You carry with you the gospel flame into the darkness. It is our job to represent Jesus, not only as we gather, not only when we make a public statement as a church, but as we scatter into the world. It is our job to represent Jesus in the way we talk, in the, in the things we emphasize, in the way we live, in the way we view our money, our resources, our time. It is our job to love Jesus and love like Jesus. And so it is one of my highest hopes that we would see ourselves as evangelists and missionaries. Now, what a typical Western church thinks of as evangelism or missionary activity, it usually involves some kind of group gathering, an event that's put on or some type of activity that invites people to come into the church building and there we tell them about Jesus and you know, so on and so forth. I think this is actually allowing us, this weird time that we find ourselves in is actually allowing us to think more biblically about what it is to be a missionary and an evangelist. That we, each and every one of us, realize that there isn't going to be any activity. There's going to there's gonna be no big gatherings. We're going to have no conferences to pull in people from outside to tell them about Jesus. It is up to us, me and you, to represent Jesus in our daily lives. And so when I think about the weirdness of this whole year, I'm kind of 
seeing, okay, God is actually doing this. I think this is putting a pressure on us to remember that we are the candle of the, you know, we are this, this gospel flame in our daily life, in our work. And all of a sudden we realize that we, each and every one of us, are not just the church when we gather on a Sunday. That is when we can, but we are also the church when we scatter. Just like we see in verses four through five, the church of Jesus scattered around the world, carrying with it the flame of the gospel, starting other fires wherever they went. Man, what an amazing picture that is and what a weird way to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples. This is a unique time in history that feel, you know, uh, is, is the sound okay? By the way, can someone give me the thumbs up if the sound is all right? I think I'm running out of battery here. This is a, a, a unique time in history to feel the weight of the fact that if we are not individual evangelists, there will be no one reaching out to people to tell them about Jesus. People are, are still dying without hope. People are still living without hope. And, and if, if we think of evangelism as purely as the church put on, puts on an event to gather people around to tell them about Jesus, um, then man, no one is going to be telling them about Jesus for a very long time. Now, my hope and prayer is that this would also do three other things in our church. Um, that this would bring our families closer together and marriages closer together, that we as parents would feel the responsibility of, uh, you know, with the extra time that we have with our children, um, that, we would f- that we would feel the weight of taking on responsibility to disciple our children, to love our wives and our husbands well, to, to reflect the gospel in that way by our love for one another, uh, by marriages that are not, you know, Marriages because there are two people trying to get something from the other, but two people trying to serve one another and give towards one another to reflect the love of Jesus by, you know, kids that are not just entertained, that are not just not bored, but also kids that are discipled and taught the word of God and, and pointed to Jesus. Like I just think of the, the, now when you're more involved with your with your family and you may see side of your kids that you haven't seen before, maybe sinful behavior. And it's really easy sometimes to just get annoyed by that. But I think that's why you're there. That's why God has you there in those circumstances in your kid. He's allowing you to see that behavior so that you can point them to Jesus, point them to why they need Jesus, point them to the fact that you often fail too and you need to repent too, um, but point them to the fact that we have hope in Jesus. Now, my hope is also that this would bring our small groups and discipleship groups closer together and that we would realize the opportunities of discipleship we have in our immediate surroundings, in our closest you know, friends and family. The context of our mission may change, but the mission does not change at all. We can expect oppositions in various forms. We can expect oppositions in the form of difficult circumstances or hate from people, but Jesus said, they hated me, they will hate you. Like that doesn't mean that we're actively going out there and, you know, speaking the way, you know, and behaving in a way that we are asking people to hate us, but we want to love like Jesus. 
but still realize that he has promised us basically things won't go as as planned if you think that everyone's just going to like you and pat you on your back for for being a representative of Jesus our momentary suffering or discomfort can be seeds that fall to the ground that give uh, joy to others. Like read with me here in verses two to three. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Right? You read those verses and, and you can only sort of imagine the suffering they're experiencing, maybe the anxiety they're experiencing. I, I feel almost like we're getting a glimpse of that from our brothers and sisters in Belarus who are basically experiencing persecution from the government. Um, but read with me verse 8. It says here, So there was much joy in that city. Even in difficult circumstances, God, bringing, God is bringing forth his good. The grace of God is greater than the hatred of any man and the evil plans of any man. You can see that here in our verses today in two ways, both in the fact that evil men, they, they, they try to kill or maim and stop the church. The grace of God is greater than their evil plans. Uh, and it broke through and gave joy to other cities around as other people spread out and started telling people about Jesus. But also in our text, I think it's super interesting, specifically that he mentions that Philip, you know, in verses four through eight, he mentions that Philip specific, specifically goes to Samaria, which is a, a people group that had had racial tensions uh, with the, the Jews for up to 700 years at this point. I mean, the Jews hated the Samaritans, the Samaritans hated the Jews. Um, when the Greeks came, Antiochus Epiphanes came and attacked Israel, uh, the Samaritans joined him in attacking them. And so like these were two groups that really, really hated each other. And here you see the grace of God extending beyond this racial hatred, racial tensions, these, you know, the, the people that hatred that has been there for 700 years, the grace of God is greater in that area. Philip goes and he tells them about Jesus and all of a sudden the people that have you know, problems with him and he may have previously had problems with these people, all of a sudden they realize they're brothers and sisters by the grace of God. God's grace is greater than the hatred of men. God's grace is greater than the evil plans of men. And in the midst of difficulty, they find their true joy in Jesus, these Samaritans. Now, I'm a firm believer that every single person who walks on this earth is looking for something. Um, they are looking for something, but they may not know what they're looking for until they find it in Jesus. I think people around us, people walking the streets, people that we may just walk by and never really think about. I think every single person we meet is actually looking for something. They are, you know, looking for joy that lasts and rests. And they don't realize that they've been created to find their joy and their rest in their creator and in their God. 
Basically, I think every single person that you meet this week, every week, is looking for one thing. They want a cause or a message or belief that is worth dying for. Um, And we've been tasked with the job of giving them that cause found in Jesus Christ. I, I ask myself regularly, how is the modern church doing in presenting Jesus Christ as the cause, as the person worth dying for? And the way we present Jesus as the one who's worth dying for is that we live for him. Living for something is, is sometimes actually much more difficult than dying for something. For instance, if you ask almost any parent, there might be a few exceptions, but almost any parent you ask, if your kid was in danger and you could save them, but it would cost you your life, would you save them? Almost any parent without hesitation would say, absolutely. I would, I would, I would die for my kids. Um, but what is much harder sometimes is the task of not just expressing love to them in the single act of dying physically for them, but living your life in such a way that your love for them is expressed and seen in our daily lives. It is so easy to be distracted by our phones or other people who want to get your attention. Right? And it's it maybe easy sometimes to think that, yes, if my kid was in danger, I would die for them. I love them that much. But it's sometimes just difficult living your life in such a way that that love is communicated day in and day out. Living for something is sometimes much more difficult than dying for something. So we have the task of presenting Jesus as the one who's worth dying for, not only by talking about him, but also by living for him by picking up our cross daily and following him because he is worth everything. Now, and what I take such comfort in in our text today is to see Saul here and in the beginning of his story, knowing what is about to happen in his life. Like who could have guessed that this guy whose hatred for the church and their faith is evident. It's, you know, it's just out there on display, he would become one of the greatest evangelist preachers and church planters that this world had ever seen. That is amazing to think about. This gives me hope for all of us that our past and our present doesn't define what God can do with our future. But it also gives me hope for the most stubborn people you may talk to about the faith. You may talk to like this atheist friend of, you know, guy of yours, uh, agnostic, and, and, or just someone who seems to just hate God or hate the Christian faith. And you may be trying to share with them the love of Jesus, trying to point to them, point them to the forgiveness and grace found in Jesus Christ and just finding yourself like, oh, there's no point. There's never going to be a time where they're going to actually give up and surrender to this thing. The most militant atheist, the most mocking and cynical non-believer you can talk to them and you can pray for them with hope. Especially as you think about what Paul will later become or what Saul will later become. 
When I read these verses, I remember that I truly don't know what God will do in their life and can do in their life. All I do know is that God, with God, anything is possible. Now, as we go into this week, as we pray, you know, maybe for the 900th time for a family member who just hasn't shown fruit of faith at all, as we, you know, pray again and talk to a friend who has been willing to listen but not shown any responses yet and we go again and we pray and talk to them. Maybe we've talked to someone about Jesus again and again. Let us pray yet again, but this time remembering with hope what God did in Paul's life. Nothing is impossible. Let us pray for our loved ones. Let us pray for our family. Let us pray for our friends. Let us share with them the gospel. Let us live for Jesus. Share with them the gospel. Live for Jesus and pray for them fervently, knowing that God, with God, anything is possible. Now, as you go into this week, I would like for you to talk amongst yourselves, be it in your families or in your discipleship groups, about a few questions. A few questions here. Um, Looking back on your life, how has God used difficulties to do something amazing through it? And what do you feel like God is bringing forth in this unusual year of COVID for you to do or to focus on? Number two, when you are reminded of your past and even your current struggles and sins, does it leave you hopeless for the future or longing for the future where you expect to change, to be changed by the grace of God? And number three, what does it look like for you to take part in allowing the grace of God to overpower the hatred of men? What radical steps of faith may God be calling you towards right now? Now, lastly, if you're watching this and you're not a Christian and you know nothing of this hope that I'm talking about, nothing of this joy that I'm talking about, let me tell you, you've not really tasted life at all until you have found it in Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans 10, 9 through 10 lays out a very simple yet profound way for you to experience eternal hope and life to the fullest in Christ. And I just want to read these verses to you. Paul here, the Saul that we, we are mentioning here in our scriptures, he writes to the Roman church, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You don't need a special blessing from a priest. There's no, uh, there's no uh, formula to get you saved. There's no ritual. There's simply this. Do you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Do you believe that he died for you and that he rose again? Do you believe that his sacrifice was enough? That when you stand before God one day, you will not point to your own goodness or your own greatness. You will point to the fact that Jesus Christ has saved you. He died in your place. He paid the debt that you couldn't pay. And lastly, do you confess him to be your Lord? Because Lord, I mean, that's a word that we don't really use a lot. Lord means he lords over your life. He owns you. So it is simple, but it is profound. If you're out there and you're not a Christian, this is how you become one. Get on your knees. 
If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth towards God that you indeed confess him to be your Lord and Savior, you become a Christian. And I would love to hear from you. I would love to have you email me at grenada.lovestone.is or send a message to the Lovestone Baptist Kitkia on Facebook. And I would love to walk with you through what it looks like to now live in your faith. But as we go into this week, may we be good representatives of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, use us as we, as we get to dwell on the fact that you have such, man, you have blessed us in so many ways. You have given us hope in so many ways. When we see what you do in Saul's life, when we see uh, what you did through difficult circumstances and hatred of evil men and their evil plans, God, we find ourselves in a weird year right now. God, may we be encouraged and uplifted to look around and see what you are doing and be partakers in it. God, bring us up in the faith. Help us to love you and love like you. Help us make it our goal in life to do the will of the Father as our, G- as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did. God, be with us as we go into this week. Forgive us of our sins, God, and, and transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Make us more like you so that we can better reflect who you are in the way we speak, in the way we talk, which is the same thing, <laughs> in the way we live, in the way we love. Be with us. Father, be with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And we will jump into the prayer request that you've posted in the comments of this video. So here. Um, Hildur, it says here, oh, there's a here. See if it fits on the screen. Hildur, please pray for, uh, be praying for my schoolwork as I struggle with glorifying God and keeping him at the throne of my life. Instead, I sinfully want to impress people and do well for my own gain. Pray for my fear of man and that I would do my work well to his glory, not my own, which might mean I need to change my priorities. Let me put it up here again. Uh, and sometimes choose loving over impressing. Choose resting over working. Choose scripture reading over homework reading. Also, please be praying for children in Iceland returning to school as not all parents have had a financially secure year and some kids are missing warm clothes and other basic necessities. Again, pray God would provide as well as show us in the church ways we can be salt and light, blessing families in Iceland to his glory. Amen. We will join you in praying for that. Uh, Logan, please pray for Redeemer City Church as our core team gathers this evening. Please pray for our remaining U.S. core team members who aren't able to move to Iceland at this time. Please pray for additional people to join our core team. And please pray for wisdom as we plan and when and where to covenant, constitute, and plant the church. Amen. We will join you in that, brother. Tenji, please continue to pray for full recovery. I'm in hospital for a couple of hours for the administration of meds, but I feel much better. Okay, that's good to know. We will continue to pray for you, sister, and, uh, and pray that you just get, get home quickly. Ayanda, please pray for my father recovering in South Africa and mom's recovery too. We will join you in that. Uh, please pray for those who want to come to Iceland to participate in the work of ministry here. That's from Elliot. Bob Norton, please pray for John MacArthur and Grace Community Church as they stand for the rights of churches in America. We we'll join you in that. Mauricio, I hope I'm saying this 
right, Mauricio? Please pray for the teachers, uh, me here in Costa Rica, as we continue with virtual classes, so God may be our strength and protect us from getting burned out. And yeah, yeah, we will join you in that. It was awesome. I saw your teaching today. Didn't understand a word of Spanish, so uh, we will join and pray pray with you in that. You might be light there in Costa Rica. Uh, Bob Norton, pr- pray for Severe Heights Baptist Church as we start meeting together again next week. Sigrun, please pray for us that we will find a house to live in and our uh, paperwork will go through quickly and just for us to adapt. So they just recently moved from here to to Spain. Uh, Svava, Please pray for the salvation of my three friends I met through the hospital. Pray for the state church and the saddening blasphemous post they posted recently. Uh, pray for the move to go well and pray for me to take care of the children well this upcoming week as we finish moving and finishing up our apartment in Kopovor. And there was also um, a few things I wanted to add in here. I wanted us to pray for our brothers and sisters in Belarus. So there is an update. Uh, Smizir, I think you pronounce his name. So it's a Russian-sounding name. Uh, I don't know if it's Belarusian, but it's, at least sounds Russian. Uh, he has been released from jail in Belarus. Uh, so there's only one member of Trinity Church, the church that we support financially and pray for regularly um, in Belarus and Minsk. Uh, Anthony is one the only member right now who is currently in jail and will be there probably for uh, a few more days. So be praying for our brothers and sisters in Trinity Church in Minsk. Um, and be, be praying for it because it seems the government is mostly attacking men and jailing men. Ooh. But if you would pray for the church there, it's been difficult for the ladies, obviously, as they see their, their men being dragged off to jail um, and having to stay at home and, and take care of the kids and wonder what's happening to their husbands. So please be praying for them as well. Uh, Pray for families in our church to grow stronger and marriages to grow stronger and the births of uh, the different moms who are pregnant right now and are about to give birth in the, the, the upcoming future. Let's pray together. Um, also, Bob Norton, praise, praise report. Jackie is greatly recovering from her knee operation. Amen. That's awesome. So let's pray. Our God, we... Uh, we thank you for everything that you've done. God, I, we join Hiltur in praying that she would uh, not allow fear of man to control her uh, and her actions and, and what she does and how she does it. I pray that you would be with her as she seeks a healthy and good balance between being a good student but also being a good disciple of Jesus. I pray, God, that you would help her love well and to seek to glorify you, to not get praise from people, but that you would be with her, that you would be her strength, that you would be her comfort in everything that she does. Give her wisdom on how to do these things well. God, I join my brother Logan for uh, his prayer request about Redeemer City Church and their core team that are gathering this evening. God, I pray for the core team members that are not yet here but are in the U.S. and trying to figure out how to move here in the midst of this pandemic. I pray, God, that you would allow them to move here uh, quickly so that they can be a part of this. And, and help them adjust well in this chaotic time. God, I, I pray that you would 
help their core team members to, to grow. God, if there are people in our church that need to go with them, God, I, I pray that you would make it obvious to them to, uh, to go with them. Please pray for wisdom. Um, I, I pray for wisdom as they go uh, and seek to covenant together, to constitute and to plant the church. God, I pray that you would just guide them in uh, you know, where, where they're supposed to meet. And I, I just, I'm excited about the possibility of other embassies of the kingdom of God being planted all over Iceland. Um, Tenji, we join her and, and we praise you for, for the fact that you have, um, that you've given this recovery, that surgery wasn't necessary, but I pray, God, that she would uh, do well right now with being at the hospital for a little bit with the administration of meds, but also that she would just have full recovery and not have to worry about this. God, I, I join Ayanda and I'm praying for her mom and her mom's recovery, but also her dad in South Africa. God, I pray for his recovery there. God, I pray um, with Elliot, those in Iceland, uh, those outside of the country who want to come here and have been praying and seeking God on coming here, God, I pray that you would just open doors in such a way that they could come here without hesitation. I pray for wisdom for John MacArthur and Grace Community Church to uh, always seek you in everything that they do and glorify you. And I pray that you would be glorified uh, through the circumstances that they find themselves in. For our brother Mauricio in, in Costa Rica, I pray that you would help them as, as he is one of the teachers there at their, their churches with the online virtual classes. I pray that they would be reaching the people of, of Costa Rica with the good news of Jesus Christ and everything that they do. I pray for Severe Heights uh, Baptist Church, as they start gathering again, I, I think if I remember correctly, there was a case of COVID that came up there, and I pray just a, a, a protection, um, and I, I, I just imagine it being very difficult with bigger churches like that when they start gathering again with all the things that have to be in place. So I just pray uh, for Tim and the leadership of that church, that you would allow them to have wisdom on what, what it looks like to move forward, that you would glorify yourself, that people would come to faith, and people would be discipled in that church. Uh, for Sigrun, I pray that uh, they would find uh, a house to live in there in Spain and that they would get settled. The paperwork would go through and, uh, and just for them to adopt to the different setting that they find themselves in. I, find, I pray that this would be an immense blessing for David as he, as he would just experience the side effects of being in a warmer climate and that would be an amazing thing for his body. I pray for healing for him. Um, Svava, I join her in praying for uh, salvation of three of our friends that we've met through our experience at the hospital and with our kids. I pray for the state church. Um, and I, I ask for forgiveness in, in this, how often I have just kind of totally given up on the state church and being confronted by that here uh, this week when, when uh, I saw this sort of saddening and blasphemous posts uh, this week by the state church and um, <laughs> being confronted by our text today that there is always hope that the past and the present doesn't dictate what you can do in the future. So God, I've been uh, just convicted about this. I shouldn't be so uh, hopeless about the state of the, uh, the state church. God, I pray
that you would raise up people in there that would stand on your word and for your word, that they would not fear men, that they would, they would overall just seek to glorify you and be faithful to what you have called them to do. So God, I pray for the state church. Give, them, uh, give the people repentance uh, that, that did this, this thing. Um, God, I, I pray the move, our move would go well. And I pray for for Svava, she takes care of the children this upcoming week. And I pray that you give her just grace as, as I've been very busy and, and she's been very busy taking care of the kids. And I just pray, uh, be with her and help us as we move this week. And, and the side effects of, of Mikhail and him not adjusting well. Um, God, I pray for Jackie. And I thank you so much for our sister Jackie and her recovery from the knee operation. God, there's a lot of prayer requests that we have today. Um, and I know there are so many different prayer requests that we have. God, I pray that you, would, that you would meet our need, that we would come boldly before the throne of grace because of your great grace and your great mercy. God, may we glorify you with our life. May we glorify you with our words. May we glorify you and find joy in the fact that you are always so much greater than any problem that we face and God, right now, we may not see how everything works out together for our good, but man, it does. You have proven it over and over and over again. And God, may we not lose faith. God, as we find ourselves struggling with our sinful flesh, God, may you, by your Holy Spirit, equip us to just tackle our sinful flesh, to deny ourselves, to follow Jesus, because we know he is the way, the truth, and the life. God, be with us as we go into this week. Glorify yourself in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Like I said earlier, um, this biggest announcement that we have, next week we get to meet in person again. I am so excited. We get to be in here, one meter rule distance. We're gonna sing together. We're gonna be studying the word together. Um, I can't wait to see all the kids and everything else. Um, we are going to provide masks when you walk in, but just walk in, find seats with one meter distance between you and the people you are not living with. Uh, and uh, let's pray that we would just be edified by that. I'm so excited to see you guys again. Uh, so as we close, let me just read the great commission that we have. The mission still stays the same this week as it has been for the last 2,000 years. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God, we thank you that you're with us always. Amen. And let us just read, I, I want to read a different benediction now from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. May we have the peace of God. May we have, um, yeah, may we be blessed by him. May he lead us on as we seek to be disciples of Jesus, as we seek to be discipled and make disciples. May he glorify himself in and through us. Thank you for joining us today. Hope you join us in person next week, 11 a.m. Fagrathing 2A is the address. You can find us by just putting in Lostaman Baptist de Kirkia uh, in Google Maps and it will tell you where we meet. So 11 a.m. next Sunday. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.